began a series just last week for the next six weeks where we've called it We Are, and it's basically a series to help us um, regather and realign as a church as we begin our year to kind of have the same theology and practice going forward, and particularly a few key areas I wanted us to focus on. Um, as I prayed and thought about the series, I believe the Lord led me to these five particular ones, but I thought, ah, I, I want us to make sure we focus on this. Last week, we looked at that we are a grace-filled church, and we looked at how because we have a gracious God who abounds in steadfast love and mercy, we are to call, we're called to imitate him, as Ephesians 5.1 says, and therefore, we're to be a gracious people too. It ought to affect our worship, our words, our very attitude and demeanor, um, and we're already such a grace-filled church, but I just don't want us to ever lose that. I want... Um, that, that spirit of grace and the practical outworking of grace to mark who we are, uh, the very core of our being between us and God, those realities, and between us and one another, and then us and the world. That was last week. This week, um, I'm going to be preaching on we are a gifted church. Um, we're a church that is charismatic or continuationist. Um, we believe that the gifts of the spirit um, that were given to the early church continue for the church today. Um, God didn't just kind of give them and say, hey, you can have prophecy, but not anymore. Um, we don't believe that. We believe that the gifts are uh, for today uh, and the entire church age. Uh, but I'm not going to be so much explaining my argument for that. If you want to ask you more about that, you can later. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at a little bit of a different perspective, more looking into why do we even have spiritual gifts, and then how do we go about practicing them? Um, so let's read 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Oh, sorry, no one, oh, sorry, I skipped a line, there you go. No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, Slightly different. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever you open up to 1 Corinthians 12, if you have any kind of a church background, uh, you know that it's sure to cause a bit of interest, intrigue, debate, uh, controversy, difference of opinions, expectations, and experiences. Um, and I grew up mainly in an Anglican church, which didn't really talk about this a whole lot, but I had a renegade youth leader, a guy named Craig, um, who is now a pastor in that same Anglican church. But our youth group was sort of probably, I would say, very skeptical of spiritual gifts and the charismatic movement. Um, they really didn't like it. But my youth leader was very supportive of it. And so when I was about 16, one night he brought myself and one of the other youth kids along to the local Caro church, as we called it, Caro Charismatic, um, called Southside. And there was a, a lady a missionary who was preaching on um, the gifts of the Spirit and being full of the Spirit and stuff like that. And uh, it was like nothing I'd ever been to. You got 100, 200 people crammed into a hall, very expressive worship, um, a lot of things happening that I had no idea what was going on. But toward the end of the night, um, because they're Pentecostal by denomination, uh, they believe that um, everyone can and should have the gift of speaking in tongues. And in fact, the gift of speaking in tongues is evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
Um, it's not a view that I share. I don't believe everyone needs to have the gift of speaking in tongues. But I, I had no idea that that was going, what was going on. I didn't really know what it was. But they, at one point in the night, they invited anyone who wanted to receive the gift of tongues to come down the front. So I went down with my leader and the other youth guy, and it was sort of like a huddle of 50 to 60 people. And then this random dude just came along, and there was someone leading up the front. He laid hands on me, and then they just said, all right, whoever's with you, I want you to pray that they'll receive the gift of tongues, and then I want you to just go and speak in the gift of tongues right now. So this guy comes along, and he's praying over me, and then he just starts praying in tongues. He's like, all right, now you do it. I was like, Okay. <laughs> and so I just started going for it. You know, I had no idea what was going on. Um, but actually, in that moment, I, I, did, I do believe I received the gift of tongues. Um, even though I wouldn't recommend practicing it in, in the exact same way. Um, my youth leader also received the gift of tongues. But then my mate that came along with me, he, I don't know what happened that night. He, he was speaking in tongues. But by two weeks later, he no longer did it. And six months later, he was no longer following the Lord. Um, it, it was a strange experience, that one, uh, but it opened me up to this other side of the Christian church and the way God's at work in different movements. Um, it made me think of things I don't like and things that I did. Uh, but it, it was kind of like a positive experience, except some of the teaching led me to kind of go around and tell everyone, you can have the gift of tongues and you should be speaking in tongues. All you got to do is ask and then just start speaking. I thought it was automatic and my theology changed over time. But there was a general, uh, like a, an actual experience of the Spirit where I received the gift, enjoy practicing the gift, and experience building up within my own spirit, as 1 Corinthians 14 says, that gift of tongues is meant to do. Now, for some of you, you might have had, um, you know, experiences that have caused a lot of e uh, discomfort. Um, perhaps you've been in even spiritually abusive scenarios where people are using uh, prophecy to tell you what you must do. And there's no weighing of it. There's no like, oh, maybe I'll get counsel. It's like, the Lord has told me you must do this or you must marry this person or you must marry me. You know, sometimes that happens. Uh, people use that gift um, in a wrong way. I had an experience um, where I went to a quite a popular evangelical movement um, and they're kind of charismatic as well. And they said, look, there's not going to be any any meeting or anything, it's just a gathering of pastors. You're having dinner, we want to bless you. Five minutes into the dinner, they just said this thing where they said, all right, now what we're going to do is we're going to have an open mic prophecy time so anyone can come up and just prophesy and say whatever you want. And for the next 45 minutes, all these dudes were getting up and ladies getting up and just spewing out all this random stuff. A lot of it wasn't biblical. A lot of it was really negative. Um, but there was no one standing there going, actually, I don't think that aligns with Scripture. There was no one judging it or weighing it. And then they went around and made various people stand up and pray over them. And it was, there was sort of no order, no control. And, and it didn't seem to really lead to the glorification of Jesus. It sort of was a bit more like, whoa, this is so exciting. Things are happening rather than Jesus being spotlighted and the glory of God being um, um, evident. Or perhaps you've had really encouraging experiences um, with the gifts. Um, and for me, one of the standout ones is uh, two years ago, we had um, friends from uh, Sovereign Grace Churches in the U.S. come, and we spent a week with them, and these were men and women who have proven in their gift of prophecy. Um, they trained in it. They spent a lot of time doing it. Um, and to be honest, when they came out, I was skeptical. I was like, come on. Like, like, I'd heard a lot of prophecy that was quite vague in general. I was like, it's going to be more of that. But these men and women came over, and I was struck by their, first of all, their godliness, their love of the Lord, then struck by their Bibles. Like, every single one of their Bibles was in tatters with, like, just highlights, scribbles, everything, earmarked, bookmarks, well-worn, big thumping Bibles, because they were reading it a lot. And then we started to see them practice the use of their gifts um, and the, the, the way that they loved people and, and genuinely sought the Lord and weren't showing off or boasting. They went around the room at one point just praying for each member of the core team in our previous church. And as they went around, they would sort of just lay hands on people. And before they kind of prophesied, they would just be like, I just get a sense that um, your job is highly involved with money and, and accounting and organizing it. And they're laying hands on Ollie Pierce, who's an accountant. And they've, they've never met him. They just literally flew in from America. And then they would go on and prophesy something in his life. And I saw them do that about 50 times over the course of a weekend to such a point where I was like, 
They're not making this up. Like, they're not just taking a wild guess and be like, hmm, he looks like an accountant. Let's go. Prophesy accountancy. Uh, they, were, they were going up to people like one couple, and they came up and they laid hands on them. And, they, and this man, uh, Dan, just said, I have a sense that um, you've come from a previous church where you're highly involved in a church plant. You were very involved in the ministry, but you got burned. And you're afraid to start using your gifts again. Um, but I get a sense from the Lord that he's actually going to care for you in this church and that you can step out and use those gifts and God will bless you through it. You can't make that story up. Like that, that either applies or it didn't. But the couple that I was sitting there with and that they were praying over, that was their story exactly. And so I've experienced all these really beautiful, encouraging moments where the Lord has used spiritual gifts to build up his church. I've experienced random things that I don't want to experience again, and I've experienced the Lord probably doing things that I wouldn't agree with, but still blessing it anyway in the lives of people. All of us come, when we talk about this, with different experiences, uh, different reactions, and different expectations. But as we go to discuss this important topic about the use of spiritual gifts in our church, the one thing we all need to do is submit our experiences, expectations, emotions, and um, reactions to Scripture, and to let God's holy word dictate what we believe about the spiritual gifts. That was the situation in Corinth. If you re remember in verse 1, Paul says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. They were practicing the spiritual gifts. They loved working out the spiritual gifts the Apostle Paul writes to them to order them and give them knowledge and instruction and information so that their use of the gifts is bounded by God's will and not just their own will, temperament, and experience. And so my hope for today is really to dive into the Scripture and let God's Word dictate how we practice the gifts as a church. And I want us to take a step back before we take a step forward today, and I want us to take a step back by asking one question, uh, I've got two points, but one question in the first point and one question in the second point. And I want us to step back and ask this question. Why does God give spiritual gifts to the church in the first place? Not like what are they and how does each one particularly work, but why? Why even do it? He didn't have to. It didn't operate like that in the Old Testament. Why does he give the church spiritual gifts? And then we can take a step forward and ask the next question, how do we pursue putting these gifts into practice? So two simple points for today, the purpose of spiritual gifts and the pursuit of spiritual gifts. The purpose and the pursuit. And one main hope for us, that we would be a church that pursues and practices the gifts of the Spirit for the good of one another. That's my hope. I hope as a church that we will be a church that pursues and practices the gifts of the Spirit for the good of our church. Point number one, the purpose of spiritual gifts. Have you ever asked that question? Why does God give spiritual gifts to the church? You may have wondered, not in that kind of broad sense, but you might have thought individually, why do I have this particular spiritual gift? Or why does that person have that gift? Or why does this gift, say, prophecy exist? Or why, why tongues? You know, like of all the gifts that God could have given the church, why did he give the gift of tongues? It's so weird. It's so abnormal. What's the point of it? Surely we'd be a lot more credible if we weren't speaking in tongues. It would be a lot more intelligible for one. Why the gift of tongues? Or perhaps you've wondered, what is my spiritual gift? Where do I fit into this mix? Do I even have a spiritual gift? Well, everyone agrees theologically that there are spiritual gifts and that they were used in the early church. And all kind of debates are about now how we're meant to use them now. But I think if we go back to 1 Corinthians 12 and study it, we're going to see why God gave the gifts to the church and then we'll know how we're meant to go about putting them into practice. We're going to know the why before the what. And we're going to see that, you know, in 1 Corinthians 12, the, the gifts are not there because they're like cool magic tricks just to spice up the church age. It's like, ah, oh, things are getting boring. Everyone needs to have, you know, the ability to kind of do these crazy things because uh, a lot of the gifts aren't that miraculous. 
administration being, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, also, as well, I mean, the, the point of the gifts, you could say, and, and it would be fair to say, um, that they're there to demonstrate God's existence. That's one element. They're there to show his power. Uh, they're also used and talked about in Scripture to authenticate the work of a particular leader like the apostles. But the most clear answer is found in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, and verse 7. And that's kind of the guiding answer for why spiritual gifts exist in the church today. So let's read in 1 Corinthians 12. And as we, before we do, you've got to kind of picture the Corinthian church. So Paul has been there some number of years before, maybe five, six, eight years before. He's preached the gospel. They've become Christians. They were all Gentiles, basically. Some of them were Jews. And Corinth is like a wild kind of city. Seafaring port, um, really rich, a lot of different people coming in. And the church wasn't well liked. They were persecuted. They started gathering but they started to get pretty loose as a church, um, hence the book of Corinthians. If you read the whole thing, there's a lot of, hey, guys, you know, probably don't sleep with your mother-in-law, not the greatest practice. Um, please don't get drunk while having communion. That's not very loving. That's the kind of the Corinthian church. And one of their practices, they were very expressive and um, energized about the use of the gifts, which is great. And Paul even commends them. Um, in the first chapter on there, that the fact that they have and eagerly maintain a desire for the spiritual gifts. He commends them. But in chapters 12 through 14, Paul seeks to correct them and ensure that their use of the gifts is governed by God's will. And so he writes uh, in verse 4 through 7. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And this is the key verse. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What's the purpose of spiritual gifts in the church? It's really clear. Spiritual gifts are given to every Christian for the common good. Primarily, God gives different spiritual gifts to every different Christian in every church across the globe for the purpose of building up their local church. Every gift, every believer, every church is given for this one main aim, to strengthen local churches. You know that Paul says to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. That means to every person here that calls upon Christ, every single one of us has a manifestation of God's Holy Spirit. We all have the Spirit in full, but each one of us receives particular ways in which we can gift our church by serving it, by using our particular abilities and skills for the good of those who are seated around us. You may think, well, I'm a pretty weak Christian, or I'm not the most holy Christian, or I'm not a very talented human being just to begin with. But this scripture teaches us, and actually all the scriptures on the spiritual gifts affirm this one point. All of us have a gift. All of us have the Spirit, and all of us have gifts, and all of us are called to use that gift for one main purpose, primarily to build up your church. The Apostle Peter echoes this point in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, As each has received a gift, each has received a gift, use it, don't like store it in your back pocket, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's like God, when you become a Christian and over the course of your life, he's, he's giving out different gifts, different people, and then you've got this gift now. And your responsibility is to not hold on to it, but is actually to put it into practice and to use it. Why? For the building up of the church. In verse 12 of chapter 14, Paul says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, you want that, you want gifts, you want it, okay, we'll strive to excel in building up the church. The point is simple and clear. 
We all have a gift and we're to use it for the common good. But you may still be wondering, yeah, but what is a spiritual gift? Like, what are they? Like, I don't have the gift of miracles, so what is my gift? Well, I think as I've studied it and looked at it over years, I think this is a fairly decent definition of what a spiritual gift is. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in order to serve and build up the body of Christ and the mission of the church. What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is any ability, any ability, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in order to serve and build up the body of Christ and the mission of the church. Paul goes on in verses 8 through 10 to kind of outline some examples of possible giftings. Verses 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And then, if you put all the passages together that talk about spiritual gifts, you add these ones to the list as well. The gift of helping. The gift of administration. Service. The gift of teaching. The gift of exhortation. The gift of generosity. Not a whole lot of people coming down the front for that gift. <laughs> Lord, I want to be exceedingly spiritually gifted in generosity. Take away all my money. Uh, the gift of leadership. And then even the gift of people. Um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are all lift, listed in these passages of spiritual gifts. Gifts can be people too. And then even Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 7 about the gift, the charismata of singleness and how that can be used in order to serve the church. Many varieties of different gifts. Any ability, really. You could probably add there music, arts, coffee making. You know, all these varieties. I think Paul and Peter, as they're, as they're putting together these lists, it's not an exhaustive list. Because sometimes the gifts are doubled up in each passage. Sometimes new ones are there. Sometimes he doesn't even give definitions of what they are. It doesn't look as though the Bible is trying to categorize there's only 21 gifts. It looks like more that the apostles are trying to say, anything you've got to serve your brothers and sisters who are bought by the blood of Christ, when you use it by the power of the Spirit, that's a spiritual gift. Seek, those, seek that power to serve. Look at verse 11 in chapter 12. All these, so all these gifts are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This vision of sovereign God sovereignly choosing and orchestrating the manifestations of the Spirit to each local church in such a way that that local church will be effectively built up in the way that it needs. That's the, that's the image, I think, that the, the, the New Testament is giving us of the spiritual gifts. So how do we know what our gifts are? Well, I think a lot of it is, is particular to our particular congregation, our particular needs that we have, your particular background and history and who you are and the education you've been led to. Like, God is sovereign, you did your degree or you did your study or you've got your job not by accident. Particular skills that you have, abilities, interests, hobbies, they're not by accident. The Lord uses you and your life in a way that you can serve other people. That's the, that's the purpose of the spiritual gifts and that's how we find out what they are. We just start serving. We seek God and we start serving and we see where we're effective. We see where people are helped. We see where people are built up. We see where their lives are changed. That's how we know what our spiritual gifts are. And to reinforce this point, in the rest of the chapter of chapter 12, Paul uses this image of a body. He says that the church is like a, a human body. All various parts, fingers, toes, elbows, you know, knees, ankles, earlobes. Like the, the body, the church is like a body. 
And for a body to function effectively and healthily, it needs various different parts. And each part needs to work well, and each part needs to be a part of it. Like, we've got ten fingers, but if you lose one of them, you're going to notice it. You're not going to be as effective. And that's how the spiritual gifts work. Some of us may have the gift of prophecy and may come down the mic regularly. Others may have the secret kind of gift of administration and helping or generosity. But each one of those gifts is needed. Each one of those gifts is important because we're a body. If we had, you know, we've got 50 members of our church or so. If we had 51 prophets, it would be a long Sunday. <laughs> we, it would not be fun. Uh, we wouldn't get through anything. Uh, it would be very difficult. And so God uses each one of us in our different ways. Look at verse 18 and 20. But as it is, God arranged, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Take a look around. Humor me for a moment. Look around. Look at the people in this room, um, outside. Okay. This is the body that God, you know, for those of us who are members here, called us to. Each one of us has various parts and a various role to play. And the purpose behind God giving us these abilities and skills in our life is so that you can use it to build up the people who are here, to encourage the people that are here, to serve the people that are here. Because the reality is we need it. We all don't have everything that we need when we come to church. We don't have the wisdom, the knowledge that we need. We don't have the encouragement we need. We don't have all the abilities to administrate, or maybe that's just me. Uh, we don't have, you know, not all of us are great leaders. Not all of us are great teachers. Not all, we need people to have all these different things so that we can function as a body, be strengthened as a body, be healthy and whole and useful um, in the world and in each other's lives. All right, I, won't, I was going to give an example of, of that, but I'm, I'm going I'm to move on. Another illustration you could have is that the spiritual gifts are meant to work like a symphony orchestra. Okay, there's the strings, and I'm not sure these are the technical terms, horns and percussion and, and brass, wind or something like that. All that's in there. And, and the symphony works when each part plays its part at the right time in the right way, and it produces a beautiful sound. If you have all drums and bass, <laughs> it, you know, you get a very kind of sound. Or if you have only strings, it's really nice, but it, kinda, it can lack the, the dynamic elements. As a church, it's a symphony orchestra. So don't look around and be like, oh, I wish, you know, like, I'm, I'm pathetic. I don't have the gift of healing. I can't make limbs grow back. You know, I'm not a real Christian. Like, no, no, that's not the point. Um, the point is, is that we're all meant to play our part. It's a symphony and when we all play our part, ah, beautiful things happen. So, what is the purpose of the spiritual gifts? Repeated a lot, but I want it to be very clear. The purpose is, is that we would use them for the common good. Not to build ourselves up. Not to kind of show off and play tricks and be like, whoa, we're so powerful, look at this. Or I know these things about you, I have the gift of prophecy. Or to have a control over someone. No, the purpose of the gifts is inspired by the reality of the gospel. We are saved as sinners and called to serve. And that applies to our use of the gifts. When the cross looms large in our church, that applies to the use of the spiritual gifts. We're called to serve. And so let us use them to serve one another for the good of our church. That leads us to point number two. Because the main thing I want us to see is, is the purpose to step back and kind of see, okay, that's what, I get what they're there for. That's why God did it. That's why he gave the church these things. Because we're needy. We need the body. We need it. Okay, I get it. But I want us to be a church which pursues and practices the gift of the Spirit for the good of our local church. And that leads me to point number two, the pursuit of spiritual gifts. The pursuit of spiritual gifts. 
You see, Paul's desire is not mere information transfer to the Corinthians or to us. It's not that we would have a really awesome theology of the spiritual gifts. Um, We do need that. We really need to have a great theology of the gifts. But Paul's intent is that it would lead to sound application in the life of the Corinthian church. The information, I want you to be informed, is to lead to sound application in the life of the church. And that is why Paul stresses four times in these two chapters this idea of earnestly desire the Spirit's gifts. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The language in verse 1 is language that must require our intentionality and our eager pursuit. It's not like an optional, like, oh, that's for the charismatic churches or for like the, like the really charismatic churches. It's like, we say we're charismatic, but we don't actually expect anything to happen. That's for the penties. Go for it, guys. Pursue those gifts and we'll just say we believe it and not do anything about it. The verse is intended for us not to just theologically believe in charismatic gifts for today, but to eagerly pursue them to actually want them to take place. And and I'm not just talking about the more outrageous, you know, kind of abnormal ones. We're talking about all the varieties of the gifts. To eagerly pursue how God can use you as a member of this body to serve the other members of the body. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, is verse 1 there. Our lives are to be marked by consistent and intentional pursuit of the gifts. When was the last time or how frequently would you say that you're someone that eagerly desires spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy? Even for myself, it's like, ah, sometimes, irregularly, I don't even know if I want all the gifts or if I'm not even sure sometimes I want them to be you know used in the church because it can be disruptive it can be messy you know like that's a reality right and it's probably a reality for you and in life group and in all manner of the gifts but to be honest by God's grace as I as I studied and thought about our church and as I prayed through our member list and I was thinking where are particular people gifted are so encouraged because our church is already an incredibly gifted church and a church which puts those gifts into practice as I read through the list I was like we don't need to become a gifted church this is not a smackdown message this is like let's go what else this is like a easter egg hunt like okay you might have a little basket of easter eggs of spiritual gifts well there's more out there and there's more opportunities to serve so how can we go and find more little you know Prophecy, (laughs) miracles, put them in the basket and then start using them. As I thought about our church, I thought about the gift of prophecy and particularly how um, Matt Pettit and and Reb Song and CJ Lick and Rach Pettit and others really sow into that and really make time to ask the Lord to move within them and to give them impressions for the church. Uh, the, the, The gift of serving talked about in Romans 12. I mean, I think we're very gifted in that area as a church. Not just because everyone turns up and fulfills their roster, but because you do it in an abnormally joyful way. (laughs) People serve with joy, which is how you know it's a spiritual gift and not just a duty. When you actually do it to serve and love other people, that's how you know it's the spirit at work and not just like you go to work, like I've got to work, I've got to do coffee this week. But when you come like, I can't wait to make coffee for my brothers and sisters. That's not you. (laughs) That's the spirit at work in you. That's a spiritual gift of serving i think of you know david and karina are just so gifted in this area they just serve all the time and so joyfully um i feel like every week look david's out there with someone else's baby right now um serving with a smile Uh, generosity Um, our church is just gifted in generosity Um, people willingly giving away so much of their money to the cause of the kingdom and the work of the lord um, I think of particularly Idy, um, who, who is so generous. Every time we have a potluck dinner or some kind of life group lunch, Idy brings a rack of lamb cutlets. 
That's a gift of generosity. Who brings a whole rack of lamb cutlets to every life group lunch or dinner? That is awesome. That is the gift of generosity. Um, that is a spiritual gift that I want all of us to have. Um, <laughs> yeah, the gift of administration. Someone like Arby, who serves so effectively in creating rosters that work and that are pastorally sensitive and work to each person so that their souls are cared for, they're not just doing the right job, and Lavinia supporting him in that. The gift of exhortation and encouragement. I think of someone like Mel Coe, who just, she's on a mission to walk around and encourage you and find something where God's at work. She's just, God's at work, God's at work, God's at work. Isn't that God's grace? Isn't that God's grace? And she's not here to defend herself right now. She's away, so we can talk about her. Um, She's just amazing in that. Uh, The gift of teaching. In the past couple of weeks, um, Joel teaching so eloquently from the Word of God. Shinu teaching so powerfully um, from the Psalms. Um, Richard, uh, a couple months ago, we have men, uh, people in the kids' work, teaching every week our kids so that they understand the gospel. That's God at work. The gift of leading and leading with zeal. I think of Richard, I think particularly of Henry and how he's come along in just being filled with the Spirit and able to lead our church congregationally in song and lead the team in such a, in such a way that magnifies Christ such a way that's not his natural personality. It's God at work in him. It's the spirit. Um, Examples of healing. I mean, um, someone was sharing that they'd experienced, um, they they had a particular medical problem last week. Uh, Their life group prayed for them. And then directly, there's been no further application of that problem. I won't go into the details of it, but I'd say that there was likely someone had the gift of healing. God was pleased to answer that prayer. Um, even prayer, uh, gifts that aren't listed, like prayer. There's many people in our church who are intercessors, who just pray constantly. Uh, gift of music, that's our church in one. Uh, the gift of faith, this kind of ability to just kind of know that what God says about himself is actually true. Um, we were at the core team meeting and we were like, oh, Lord, help us with venues. We don't know where we're going to be. We don't know. We're never going to raise enough money to own a venue. And Lavinia was just like, what do you mean? God. Like, God has everything. He can give us a venue. And I was just like, oh, man, that was good. And that was a spirit moment of just faith that went, oh, yeah, we were downplaying God. And he can move in us. And he could give us a building if he wanted to. So um, already you can just see the spirits at work. We have many gifts. But how do we go about pursuing even more of this and pursuing putting it into practice more and more? How do we go from knowing the purpose to applying them and practicing them? How do we, so to speak, pick up our instrument and contribute uh, to the orchestra? Well, I want to... Okay, I've got a bit of time. Uh, I want to go through five brief application points. How can we go about being people who eagerly desire the spiritual gifts and put them into practice? Point number one, pursue God. Pursue God. We read multiple times already today, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord, varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Notice the Trinitarian language there, Father, Son, and Spirit, all at work in the distribution and practice of the gifts in our church. Pursuing the use of the gifts in our church first begins with pursuing the God who gives the gifts. He designed them. He wants to bless us with them. He calls us to seek for them. But more than seeking the gifts, seek the giver. And it's in seeking the giver that um, we begin to be changed and our hearts begin to be transformed. And we begin, you know, as we meditate upon the gospel, we see, oh, I want to serve my brothers and sisters. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I don't have the power to serve. God, give me the power to serve. I need these spiritual gifts so I can help my friends in my life group. Pursue God and then pursue the gifts. Mark Prater, who's the... um, Executive Director of Sovereign Grace says it like this, our public use of the gifts should be an overflow of our private pursuit of God and his spirit. Our public use of the gifts should be an overflow of our private pursuit of God and his spirit. Now God is gracious and he uses us despite our pursuit of him. 
There's times when you've had a really bad week, a sinful week, you've hardly read your Bible, you've been doing all number of things, and God will use you at church to encourage someone. God will use you to serve. God will help you to come up and, and be a part of band. That's just the reality, but don't make that your practice. Pursue God and seek to practice the gifts. Point number two, pursue love. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 1 again. The Apostle Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The logic of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is that he's bringing correction to the Corinthian church in chapter 12 and informing them of what the gifts are, what their purpose is. In chapter 14, he's trying to order their church service so that they actually have a, a structured and ordered way so it's not chaotic as they're using the gifts. And in the middle is chapter 13, which is the classic wedding passage about love. But that whole passage, the point of that passage is that the Corinthians would no longer use their gifts for themselves, but they would use them to love one another. To love one another. As we pursue loving one another, God will give us the gifts we need to do that effectively. And if you have these gifts and you operate them without love, then Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Love is to mark both our motivation and our delivery of those gifts. Love is at the center of the gifts. We have the gifts so we can love one another. And so pursue love. Pursue loving one another and receive gifts to help you in that process. Ask God for gifts of generosity to help brothers and sisters in need, gifts of mercy to care for those who need it, gifts of leadership where there's an evident need for um, kind of organization and and vision to go forward. I'm constantly praying for the gift of leadership in this church so that we can do more and reach more people through men and women who will stand up with and lead with zeal. Pursue love. So pursue God, pursue love. Number three, Pursue faith. One of our great impediments to the pursuit of the spiritual gifts as a Reformed church is to make it, as I said, merely theological or academic. But the second danger is to allow our fear from keeping us to step out in faith. Probably the biggest boundary to us operating in, in, in our gifts is fear. Fear of stepping out and getting it wrong. Um, Wayne Grudem tells this story of his experience of pursuing the Holy Spirit um, and, and growing in his faith. And I'll post it in the blog because we're <laughs> it's a little bit long, but it's really good, so you can read it later. Uh, but basically, it takes faith. You have, to, you have to do something. You have to step out. If you have a prophetic impression, you've got to submit it, come down the front and say, hey, I've just got this verse, I've got this image, I've got this vision, I've got this sense, or I, I sense we ought to pray for this type of person, or come down. Or you might be in conversation with someone, and you get a sense, ah, they just need gospel encouragement. I'm just going to step out, and I know they know the gospel, but I'm just going to tell them again. Or you get that sense of like, they might need help. I'm going to create time this week to go around and help them, and be a spiritual gift to them, or But it takes faith, it takes uh, risk to step out. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 says, um, each one is to um, use their gift in proportion to their faith. And so we ought to pursue faith. We can only use our gifts into the proportion that we believe that the gift exists and will be useful to other people. So we need to ask God, God, give me faith to step out. Give me faith to believe that this gift will actually help that person. And that leads to number four, pursue opportunities. Um, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul kind of clips Timothy over the head a little bit um, because Timothy had sort of like dialed down in his use of his gifting. Um, verse, chapter 4, verse 14 says, 
Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy. Well, chapter 1, verse 6 of 2 Timothy. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. It's possible that you have a gift from the Spirit laying dormant. One, perhaps, that you used to even use regularly, but you've stopped using it. Pursue the opportunities to put it into practice. Make space so you can actually serve and build up this body with the gift you've been given. Fan it into flame. If Timothy, who is like chosen by the apostle to lead the churches in Ephesus and and across um, various areas, if he could be the type of person that goes dormant in his gifting, well, how much more is that going to be true for us? We ought to pursue opportunities. Uh, That means practically things like being prepared for church, coming on time, coming early. I'm sharing or praying through the week for prophetic impressions for this church. Life group, being there consistently and regularly in a disciplined way so that you know what people are going through in your life group so that you can actually be the gift of helps or mercy or administration or leadership for them. If you're not there, how are you going to know what people are going through? How are you going to be the part of the body that they need? Pursue opportunities in your life. Often there's examples in the New Testament of prophecy and gifts being used in mission. Pray for prophecy as you're on the bus. Revelation, words of knowledge, and and seek to win people to Jesus. Pray for the gift of faith so that you can ask for radical healing for a co-worker. And then when that prayer is answered, you can direct them to Jesus Christ, who is their healer. It's not just all here. It's for the mission of the church as well. Pursuing opportunities also means pursuing learning. Uh, if you've got a very scant knowledge of how God works through the gifts and um, through your particular gifting, then seek out to learn more. Uh, there's five books, uh, five copies of one book called The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, which I've got on order. I thought they were coming, but they didn't come. Read that book by Sam Storms. It's a helpful start. On March 9th, we're having a combined prophecy night with our other church where we can learn more about that gift and actually seek to put it into practice Come along to that. Talk to friends about it. Ask questions. Hey, what's your spiritual gift? Or, or encourage people. I think this is your spiritual gift. Pursue opportunities to learn and pursue opportunities um, to encourage others in their gifting. Um, and if you are someone who's like, I really have no idea what gift I have, or if you are really desirous for a particular gift, um, I've asked some of the core team members to stay down the front after church and step out in faith and come and receive prayer today that God would give you the gift that you earnestly desire. One way to actually put this into practice is today, ask God to help you to actually have gifts that you want and to put them into practice. Finally, so you've got pursue God, pursue love, pursue faith, pursue opportunities. Practically, point number five, pursue order. Pursue order. Wayne Grudem says it like this. To say that the use of miraculous gifts is dangerous is not by itself an adequate criticism because some things that are right are dangerous in some sense. A better approach is to ask, are spiritual gifts being used in accordance with Scripture? And are adequate steps being taken to guard against the dangers of abuse? Um, God, our God, is a God of order. Our giftings and our expression of them ought to reflect that. If you read the rest of 1 Corinthians 14 toward the end, verses 26 to 33, Paul gives very specific instructions to the church. Like, if someone has a prophecy, like, this is how it's meant to be done, weigh it by the elders. If, like, let two or three prophets speak and then let them sit down. If someone's prophesying and someone gets a new prophecy, get that person to sit down, have another person come up. If someone's speaking in tongues, don't let them speak in tongues unless there's an interpreter, because how will anyone understand and be built up? Because the point is to love the church. So don't just all burst out in tongues. That's not going to serve anyone. Wait until there's interpretation. Kind of really practical steps. If we want to be a spiritually gifted church, we want to be bound by Scripture. And Scripture commands us to be ordered in the way that we go about using them. So pursue order and enjoy the work of the Holy Spirit in the ordering of the gifts, in the leadership of the gifts. Trust pastors and life group leaders to lead those moments and actually bring order to them. Because order brings protection. It weighs and gets rid of false teaching and false, um, you know, because not every gift is from the Spirit, right? 
You know, the people come to Jesus and say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. So we need order. We need control. We need leadership of the gifting. Apostle Paul finishes the letter of the Thessalonians and says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. So how do we go about pursuing the gifts in our church? Well, friends, pursue God, the giver. Pursue love, because that's the purpose of the gifts, is to love one another. It's not this show. It's not a great, like, awesome trick. It's, it's love. And some of the gifts are really miraculous and kind of crazy looking, and some of them are really boring and just practical. Pursue loving and use the gifts. Pursue faith and opportunities. Step out and take risks. And pursue God. Uh, pursue order, rather. And my hope is that we will continually be more and more gifted as a church so that we can serve each other more and more and love one another more and more and meet the needs of one another more and more so that we can function as a healthy body for the glory of God and the magnification of Jesus Christ in our life and in our world. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray and ask that as a church you would help us to serve joyfully, to give generously, to teach clearly, to reach out boldly, to heal with power, to prophesy with encouragement, to lead with zeal, to administrate skillfully, to preach powerfully, to love practically. Lord, give us the gifts that we need as a church. Give us the gifts that we need to magnify you, to help each other, to serve one another. And in the process... May we enjoy it. May we enjoy you. May we be bold. May we take risks. And may you fill us with your spirit more and more that we would not live for ourselves, but live for you and one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.